Okay, guys, you're very welcome along to Heartlines. This is Shane, and this is episode 74. Now, it took a while to get back to the dance to get another guest on, but I feel this guest is going to knock your socks off. Um, it's kind of in the beverage industry, I feel, and he is also the founder of Bingo Loco. His name is Will Mara. How are you doing, Will? Not too bad, Shane. How are things? Good, good, yeah. I've been tracking you for a while and I'm glad I got you on the show now because I want to hear your story. Your, your story for me fascinates me. So just talk about your early story. First of all, where are you from? So I'm initially from Blanchardstown and um, I moved into town for the final year of college doing engineering. Mm. Right. It's the polar opposite of what I'm doing now. Yeah. Um, had no interest in engineering and I got involved in organizing events in societies in college eventually got involved in the students' union and became the ENTS officer in DIT. Did that for about two years and threw myself into it so fully that when I was leaving it, it seemed I was just getting thrown off as left, right and centre to work for digital marketing agencies, uh, working for you know venues, nightclubs, that kind of thing. And so after shorts and a traveller came back and started working um, mm. to set up one of Ireland's uh, kind of first little rave caves in Dublin. Um, so we, we built out hangar. So with the with the the Denims, uh, Ireland and Jason Denham uh, at the time when they were still married, um, kind of recruited me to be sort of like the the creative kind of direction and lead on. So whether that be bringing in promoters, putting on unique concepts, um, kind of how we would market, and um, and at the same time also getting involved in a few of the concepts. So that time I got involved with Morning Gloryville, which is the sober morning dance party that you'd go to before work with like you know yoga and massage and you have dances on stage but also banging techno but no yeah. drugs no drink nothing like that it was completely yeah. polar opposite um and so slowly but surely i was now falling in very heavy to to the events industry um you know involved in concerts booking talent um and this was this is a far cry from mechanical engineering in bolton street yeah. uh, where i had initially actually done interviews and been told that I didn't want to be an engineer. So it was obviously very obvious. Whatever I was saying in my interviews was easily portraying that I was meant to go into a, a kind of hospitality, you know? Yeah. And so there was, um, there was a period in 2015 where I had decided that I just needed to go off and travel a bit. I'd been bitten by the bug about three years pretty previously gone doing a bit of travel and I needed to kind of go and do it. And I'd also hadn't really spent much time sort of grieving when my mum had passed um, a little time before that. So I decided to, to quit everything. I was also doing kind of commercial development for the union of students in Ireland at the time. So that would be the union of all of the student unions in Ireland. I sort of made this position um, a political obligation of USI when I was uh, a member of it as a, as a student union member in DIT. And then when the job came up, I went for it. So I sort of made a job for myself politically, which is hilarious. Um, but I went into the president's office and I said, look, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm going to go traveling. I turned all the tickets I had on sale. I turned them off and um, I packed everything in a small bag and it disappeared. I went off for about 14 months. And that brought me from, you know, the classic places of Thailand and India um, all the way to not so classic places such as Iran and Iraq. So I spent really, not just what people say, oh, you go off and you travel and you find yourself. Really, I wasn't trying to find anything. I was just like kind of bumbling around, keeping myself distracted, but also spending a lot of time alone um, to feel, to think. And a lot of that actually you know, sort of left me planning. Um, my brain really didn't stop working, even though I wasn't working. 
Um, and that resulted in, um, I guess, actually how Bingo Local came around. Because me and uh, my business partner, Craig, we were sitting in a mess hall. This is where soldiers go to hang out in their free time. Uh, we were hanging out in this mess hall. And it was in Iraq. And this is during the time when there was a fight for Mosul. And you might be asking what are you know, two young backpackers doing in Iraq. But we had uh, been sort of hitchhiking around the Middle East, trying to do some investigative blogging pieces because we'd had this crazy idea to start you know, doing investigative blogging. Um, and we'd, we'd found ourselves near, near a conflict zone. So all of a sudden feeling very vice journalist altogether. Um, but we were in this mess hall with these soldiers and we started, you know, playing bingo. Turns out bingo is a popular um, kind of pastime for American soldiers at a base there. Mm. Um, and the American soldiers had long pulled out, but they left bingo behind them. And the kind of Peshmerga soldiers there, they, they play, obviously, they play bingo, but they play it in Arabic numbers. Me and Craig didn't know any Arabic numbers. So we made our own variant of this game with the guys that we were sitting at the table with, and it soon started spreading from table to table, where we'd gamified um, this Arabic bingo in a mess hall with a lot of soldiers in Iraq. Um, when we'd come home, we were sort of coming home, maybe about two weeks later, we were coming home in the wake of a lot of heat we're on the front page of Ireland's biggest tabloid. So on the Herald, there was a picture of me and Craig in the back of a military home, we were wearing military uniforms, labeled terror tourists. We had, we'd, had, we'd had a lot of people kind of wanting to meet up with us, wanting to talk to us. Mm. And we'd also been trying to get our feet back into, let's make some money again. We're back from travels, you know, maybe we'll put some ideas into play. We'd had hundreds of ideas. Uh, but one idea that we couldn't shake was the fact that bingo is a great focal point for whether you've got 100 people or 1,000 people, the whole room can get their weight behind it. Yeah. Now, we'd also seen a massive rising trend in bingo sort of style parties around the world. There's chicken shit bingo in Austin where the chicken eats loads of grain and you mark off the numbers wherever the chicken uh, shits on a grid of numbers inside a pen. There's dildo bingo in Reykjavik. There's base bingo in, um, in Melbourne, which is kind of like a bit like bingo loco, but imagine if, imagine if like students made it or something. Um, there was also starting at the same time, there was uh, Rebel Bingo. This had been sort of like a TV produced theater show uh, style kind of format. Uh, bingo at the standard. And we were like, you know what? What if we took what we, what we kind of built, which was almost like a drinking game bingo, put an Irish twist on it, added a bit of, you know, Mark McCabe, um, throw in some, some classic banter that, you know, works mm -hmm. well in Ireland. And just, just let's just see how we get on. Let's just give it a go. Let's see if it becomes like a, a precursor to a night out, or maybe we end up building it into a board game. Who knows what this is going to be? And so a venue that had been keen for us just to stick in whatever we wanted to do, because they were like, whatever these lads are going to do, it's going to be a good idea. Um, we, we stuck in a bingo loco, but we didn't really know what the first show was going to be. So the prizes included like an old CRT TV that we'd found at the side of a road. We had a car, a car clamp that we'd, that we'd found sawn off somewhere. What? Um, Man. Man. Yeah, we had those around. There's obviously a giant dildo that's been there from the very start. We never took that out. Um, but we'd, we'd, even, for, we'd no even, for, even for corporate, because I don't, I don't remember seeing one of them in, in our corporate event. Oh, no, our corporate shows are definitely a bit more. PG <laughs> yeah, they have to. <laughs> now, also, as well, like, you know, like, I know myself when I was growing up, I played bingo. Would you play bingo growing up yourself? Or? Um, I, 
think I would have played bingo growing up. I think it's something that's in the mindset of a lot of people, especially in British people, yeah. Irish people. Yeah. Americans are very familiar with the concept of bingo. Yeah. But also, if you're not, you still get it. We call out numbers, you mark them off. Yeah. It's very, very straightforward as a concept to follow, you know? It's that anticipation as well. I used to work on a cruise ship, okay? And like, it wasn't bingo local. We used to have, used to have a guy, a friend of mine, isn't it? he called himself Rock and Roll Tommy. And you just tell dad, dad jokes and have a little kind of like um, one of these uh, inflatable air guitar like guitars and you do air guitar moments and you dress up like a kind of rocker and everyone loved it. But like it wasn't wild, like like bingo loco, but it was great crack, you know, and it's the anticipation as well, I feel in bingo. So that's the thing. There's 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 two um, sort of moments when you're getting numbers called out that yeah. you feel like you're always getting near miss and it's the hook on the near miss. Yeah. So it's either like a number that feels like it's one away from your number. You're like, oh, so close. Even yeah. though it doesn't really matter because it's just not the number. Yeah. Or it could be a number that's in proximity on your sheet. It could be a completely mm. different number beside you on the sheet or it's above you on the sheet. So you got proximity numerically and proximity uh, by location on your sheet. Yeah. So there's always a bit of like a, oh, almost there. You almost have it. Yeah. But on top of that, it, it's sort of like, if you take any two ideas and infuse them together, and I'll, and I'll talk about how we've sort of done this with October Fesh, which is, um, fusing two ideas um, but it's we take, we've taken bingo and we've merged it into something else we've taken a theatrical stage show and merged it with bingo so you're getting you're getting this twist right and there's a yeah. very big rising trend in, um, in the kind of food and drink industry and that is competitive socialising and so all over London you'll see bars like Electric Shuffle um, you'll see Flight Club uh, you'll see Fair Game High Jingo you'll see um, you know, Top Golf, you'll see Birdie, and so a lot of these, a lot of these businesses have taken something as simple as you know shuffle the game shuffle where you, where you move like a, a puck along a board. They've taken indoor golf, they've taken uh, darts, and they've used this and turned it into a friendly adult nightlife sort of product. Yeah. And we've done the same thing with bingo. It's coming in to play a game, uh, but because you're playing a game, you're in there for longer. You're having more fun. You're forgetting that you're drinking, yeah. ultimately. And so you drink more. Bingo is a four and a half hour long show. Now it's a, mm. it's a, it's a three hour long show, but you get an hour and a half beforehand to come in, throw back anthems and have a drink. Mm. The benefit of that preamble is we get something like 75% of our drink sales pre-show because everyone's in, they're getting warmed up, but they know the show's starting soon. So they're slamming the bar to stockpile drinks on the table. But you have them for four and a half hours. So over those four and a half hours, you're, you're naturally going to drink more. If people go to a nightclub, they might go to a nightclub at, say, let's call it half 11 or 12. They're there for an hour and a half, maybe two hours before. Maybe they go on somewhere else or they go home. Yeah. If you're going to a, a bar, maybe you're going to the bar, but you may be there for two hours before popping off somewhere else. But because we have you in for four, for four and a half hours and we don't do any reserved seating, so you're getting in to get the best seats and Kurt is a full house early, we're getting the first pound out of your pocket as well. So when you're coming in, uh, say, 6.30 on a Saturday, you probably haven't been pre-drinking very much because it starts quite early. You want to grab your seats because you don't be sitting in the back somewhere. You want to go to the line side of the stage. And so you're getting the, the first pen out of pocket, but you're getting the most pen out of pocket for a concert of its type. So that's, that's a, a pretty nice one for venues. So a lot of venues, obviously, once they find out the word gets around, everyone starts contacting you. Hey, look, we'd love to have you host one of your events with us. Yeah. Um, so it, it naturally felt very easy for something to scale from Dublin um, and from Dublin to Cork and to Galway 
uh, seemed like a natural progression. But once we got in sort of like a tipping point, we were kind of launching in Wexford and Carlo and Belfast yeah. and Donegal and finding that we already had a fan base there that had heard about this unique, fun concept from Dublin. They'd seen big videos, they'd seen us do events in the RDS, but obviously just it hadn't come to town. Um, and one thing that people forget is because we're now everywhere and everywhere regularly, mm. we're actually Ireland's number one selling event. That's when it, nobody really knows. Any single Friday or Saturday night, we will have maybe four events happening, five events happening at the same time. Mm. So you're easily clearing about 2,000 tickets every Friday and maybe more every Saturday. Um, and you're doing that every weekend. As well as that also, you'll have some big weekenders where maybe you're doing you know, 3,000 people in the RDS or you know, maybe like live at the marquee, you're doing maybe another 3,000 there. So actually, when you add up all the tickets, we're selling more than any other single artist in Ireland. Um, and that's, that, that, that's news that spreads. Uh, it spreads outside of Ireland. And we, we're now in the UK in something like 40 locations. So the UK is now bigger than the Irish business, business geographically. Um, um, and we're also in a lot of major population centers around Australia. We're in Dubai. And now we're moving towards North America, hoping to launch our first events that aren't just, you know, doing tours and passing uh, from this September onward. I've seen that you like you have this really spark and, and obviously obviously your your co-creator really is you seem to vibe with each other like do you know each other from growing up or how's this how's that there's actually three of us i should i should be clear that there's okay. three of us um, yeah, yeah craig and steve we're working together in a doing kind of um marketing and working in kind of venue management out in the right mm. venue together um before craig had come off traveling he met me on the road for about three or four months yeah and then but we'd known each other for obviously a couple of years um, so back in the college days, we we sort of ran a, a college ball together accidentally, and you know initially we're hating each other and then loving each other afterwards. And so he he's definitely got a great marketing mindset, yeah. So in terms of how to position a brand, you know what what the consumer is sort of thinking. Commercially, of always the person building the relationship, so that's you know expanding into new territories or dealing with the corporate clientele, yeah. which accounts for about twenty five percent of our business nearly. Um, but Stephen had an operational mindset. So when all the talking was done, someone had to do it. Mm. And so he would then put together the events. Oh, we, need a, we now need a warehouse. So actually, we need two warehouses. We need a bigger warehouse. We need to order in inventory. Let's go to China and source it directly. So always had these kind of moments where he would kind of put operational milestones in place to actually scale. So when we're going to America, for example, he's making sure all of our stuff and all the prizes are getting landed there, that they're going into a storage unit. Um, whereas I'll be over there next week pounding on doors trying to find deals with theatres and live music venues across the East Coast. So it's a, it's actually a very good balance between the three of us, between having an operational mindset, um, a kind of a marketing mindset and a commercial mindset. Um, and then later on, as things were growing, we hired in finance, we hired in creative, um, and we've kind of scaled it that way. You've got a democracy when you're voting on anything. Yeah. You're in a business on your own, Shane. Yeah. You're making decisions in an echo chamber of your own madness is this a good idea is it not a good idea yeah. spending a lot of time making research online or maybe asking mentors or friends if you're two you'll bounce off each other a lot and if you don't meet in the middle sometimes you'll clash and that can oftentimes cause problems around year two year three when it comes to growing and there's a lot of money involved whereas three as long as you respect each other it's a, you can always debate but it comes down ultimately to let's take a vote and roll with the punches so it's um it's been great actually having three partners to help Help started you know and it's also been um sort of the launch pad for for other project kind of projects that like we started a bar at the end of 
2019 uh, and we launched it in February 2020 yeah. and nice then time. that was it March 2020 yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. and it was sort of like a hipster hipster dive bar and it was meant to be all about craft beers and unique little events yeah and then COVID came up with us for two years so for a while we were a sandwich restaurant yeah substantial meals yeah we did what we had to do to survive yeah, sure um but it was it was very very tough because we had um that that first year or two of, of having a bar is the most crucial in gathering momentum to people need to see other people in there and so we had to basically reopen about three times where we would constantly do launch campaigns and we were selling cocktails from door to door to try and stay stay alive and, and keep the, the lights on figuratively um but it was it was definitely an interesting experience like for every bar owner now we're getting COVID. it seems like a like a, a weird dystopian past but um ultimately we closed it then maybe around march uh reason being is there were six partners involved which there's, there's also like sometimes too many partners yeah. so sometimes the accountability when it's too many people sometimes falls off the table but having reopened from COVID, trying to extend the lease to make the project worthwhile it just seemed like it was becoming going hard work um the industry was also becoming a little bit tough as well as you're probably hearing and seeing a lot of bars and restaurants are closing around the city yeah. Uh, margins are getting tighter. If you try and increase your pint to Guinness by fifty cent, you know everyone's you know public enemy number one. But if you um, you know you tell your suppliers to stop increasing the price, they just won't. You know the the keg gets more expensive, the electricity and heating gets more expensive, and so as your costs are rising and your customer really holds it ransom in terms of how fast or how much you can rise the price of a cocktail or a drink you find your margins almost being coming in from both sides. So the walls are closing in on it. Um, but ultimately, um, I had some other projects that were really kicking off um, with, you know, reopening after COVID. Bingo was exploding um, again. Um, and my, my tour business, which specializes in, in tours in, in Pakistan, uh, was, was doing very, very well. And so I found myself being very, very distracted and decided yeah. to uh the guys who who i was in business with the anti-social some of them stayed on they've now flipped it into doll doll society which is a sort of like a for all all sense of the word it looks like a, a barbie bar it's like it's all pink curly cocktails that's the vibe they've gone for um but i also left jackie's which is another bar i opened up in yeah. 2021 mm. and that was a 90s themed uh bar so your solero sunsplit co- cocktails you know uh, going for things that Gave you a t- taste of nostalgia from when you were a kid. Um, so instead of a, a Long Island iced tea, it was a Barry's Island, uh, Barry's tea, Long Island. Um, so everything had a touch to it, a little arcade, you know, 90s posters and movie posters all over the wall. Um, the, the boys' toilet was, you know, wallpaper was all the dandy, vino. The girls was just, you know, golden sparkle disco. Um, um, and it was just something, it was a small bar, nothing, you know, massive to ride home about, but it's sort of, even though like it was going very, very well, it still is going very, very well. It just didn't tie in with, with my plan to focus on golden gooses. Um, because before you know it, you're spinning 12 different plates and they're all kind of doing okay. But when you focus down on the projects that give you the highest ROI, that give you the most joy spiritually and financially, um, it doesn't make sense to open up and keep doing business for the sake of making businesses. And I think as an entrepreneur, you see an idea and you can't help but try it out register an entity make a website and all of a sudden you, you just believe it's going to make money uh, but ultimately you lose time 
Um, we're not here just to work ourselves to the bone, you know. There's a lot to unpack there, okay? So did you always have an entrepreneurial spirit, spirit or did you, did you just kind of get into college and realize, look, I'm good at this, and I just kind of, and you kept on finding um, different uh, projects and finding success and, and finding people going, yeah, Will, yeah, let's, let's go with that idea. Let's go with that. Let's go with that. And then the confidence kind of built over time. In the absence of not knowing what you want to do, and then having a, a, a skill set of engineering and not sure like what to do with it. Yeah. You are still a problem solver. You're an analytical person. You're, you're good with numbers. You're able to kind of do projects and yeah. cut through a full design brief. So when it comes to designing an event and doing a financial plan for it, that came second nature. It just felt like doing one of your college projects, except easier. Yeah. Um, and growing up, you know, um, telling my dad I want to be an engineer, he didn't really understand what an engineer does. And a lot of people don't, you know, they just create value as essentially what they do. Um, but he did respect, you know, um, building your own business. He was a self-employed man from the very get-go. Yeah. He came from a farm in West Cork at the age of 14 and grifted his way through a shoe shop, which is now still going in a tie in Kildare uh, called Shaw's, um, and made enough money to get a bicycle and cycle to Dublin. Worked in Nichols, going door to door, selling curtains and upholstery services, um, and eventually started buying and selling cars. So he was always grafting. He was always kind of... Yeah getting out there to make a, to make a shilling. Uh, he's now 78. So he, I got to see him at a, at a time in his life growing up when he was buying and selling cars. He had, you know, was always trying to get another property and rent it out. And mm. um, this is all during the nineties, during the Celtic tiger boom. So he was just constantly out the whole time and, and working hard to make money. So it's naturally instilled subconsciously that you got to go out, you got to graft, you got to also be working, having your own business. You never work a day in your life. is something that was drilled into me. Um, but but ultimately after college realizing that actually he's totally wrong <laughs> like you <you'll> work <laughs> every day all the time you're always on yeah and actually the, the biggest part like i said earlier on about kind of withdrawing from some for some businesses um, yeah. uh, was purely to allow myself to not be working all the time i also had a DeFi consultancy which is decentralized finance and we were building an educational platform and talking to the biggest blockchain companies in the world. And it was going a million miles an hour. We're talking to people that you'd never dream you'd be talking to. Uh, I can't even say their names. And this was all exploding very fast. Yeah. But again, these things are just taking up your time mm. and you lose so much of it. So it's about finding that balance as an entrepreneur to A, manage your own time and not yeah. let yourself become slave to your projects, but also to realize that you're not doing it just for the buzz because it is a, it's, a, it's a thrilling thing to to build your own business but you're also doing it just have money and that's important for living you know you don't need an endless part of it you know like when you first on your first few events what was the feeling were you feeling like ah this is this is kind of working this is not working we need to tweak it a bit the first one was hilarious it was five hours on stage we all fell off absolutely not because we were um of the opinion that we definitely all needed to be drinking cans to make this silly show happen and it'd be funny if we were drunk on stage yeah um because it was us on stage at the start, fur jacket, jumping around. Yeah. Um, my friend Marcus O'Leary, who I'm sure you're familiar with, was uh, MCing and DJing. Um, Jess Brennan, who was a good friend of mine, she also came out to dance on stage. Yeah. And so with uniform was a bit SNN. She's kind of like in a, in a harness with chains. Uh, and I was a topless in a pair of pants that had love hearts on them. You know, numbers like 69 would come out and we would mock a 69 on stage. A girl I was dating at the time didn't really appreciate that in the audience. Having, having a good time and, and, and mm. playing around with, with the product. A lot of the people that, I, that were at the show were obviously very close friends. 
they were just there to be like, whatever these lads do will be funny anyway. And then I'd also met a lot of people at a at a craft beer. Remember the was the All Tech Craft Beer Fair that used to be on down at the convention center. So I'd been there earlier on the day and I was just got around networking and I invited something like 50 or 60 people from that to come down. Yeah. And everybody just came up afterwards and was like, well, you need to do that again. But whatever that was, it was hilarious. You need to do that again. And so we sold out every event in Dublin. Um, and that's been the case now for about nearly six years from that very first event. But over the time, it changed. When you scale things, you need to modularize things. Yeah. Um, you need to make sure that you have a harmonious script. So mm. if someone's going to a show in Dublin, yes, it's going to be different from one in Galway, but that ultimately the format stays the same. There's gags that are shared, but there's gags that are individual to the host and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but ultimately realize we're going to scale this, we need to localize it. So, you know, in Northern Ireland, we have to be very careful with the width that we might use in the Republic. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the same, we have to be very careful about how we use uh pata which which is what you know conversational banter in scotland yeah so it's a scottish bingo rave in scotland and it's an english bingo rave in england and it's an irish one here uh, same in australia it's australian hosts it's kadai oh, okay banter. It's yeah, nice. yeah yeah that's cool so wherever wherever you're going to it we tap into the local cycle which is important it's hard to do that in australia because the irish kept coming to our show we loved it but every time we try to crack a local audience you know, there'd be 20% Australians who managed to actually get tickets before the Irish had swarmed mm. the audience. Yeah. And so we, we couldn't localize it until we'd kind of churned through the Irish and actually COVID allowed us to finally crack the Australian market because like, all the I, Irish I, mostly got home. Yeah, I know like you would have like comedians and stuff, but would you just want more presenter like type or do you want comedians or is there a balance between who makes the bet a good kind of host for a bingo local? Be surprised, like some comedians are not great at hosting a three hour long show because you've got yeah. a 15 minute skit, the lines, yeah, yeah. the pauses, and everything that's being rehearsed. Yeah. Um, some radio DJs are amazing because they're used to just keeping the airtime going, yeah. keeping the audience entertained, yeah. saying something funny, how they sound to an audience, yeah. or, or like without being seen. Um, sometimes you get actors who are just, you know, brilliant at following script. No shit. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. We've had we've had people coming through who like they just worked in recruitment and wanted to give it a bash. Some of our best hosts, honestly, like have never really been hosts before. So mm. really, it's it's a personality driven thing. Um, obviously, the natural default we're going recruiting is to find them through those avenues of radio, theater, kind of comedy, whatever it is, stage. Yeah. But ultimately, we've we've had hosts come through the most obscure ways possible one of our one of our best hosts was uh found through craig's brother's friend who we went to school with who he just thought was funny so if you should get this guy on stage to host the show he's just hilarious you know he hosts more shows for us than anyone else does yeah, could you bring irish hosts over abroad i'd love to go there maybe dubai probably a show because i know there's places over in dubai do, yeah we take irish kind of hosts over because for the diaspora we do, yeah we take yeah, it's also with a lot of british coming to our shows over in dubai as well because more british expats there than irish mm. expats and they're also mm. very familiar with the bingo rave and we've also grown a lot in the uk as well so even though we've got a competitor in the uk and also in dubai uh they're familiar with both brands you know and if one's not on they want to go to a bingo rave they come to ours no problem you know yeah um in australia we also have irish hosts it's just the, the way it happened that some of our hosts in Ireland wanted to move to australia so now they're hosting shows for us in australia down under oh, that's great so we see videos going up it's our irish hosts on stage in melbourne and sydney or in perth or whatever it is but um it's it's not not every show. It's not the majority of shows. You know? I I was talking to one of the guys I work with, and he I, he was he, I I asked him give me a question to ask Will, and I, he he gave me his question. I'm going to ask you. So, 
what is the wildest thing that's happened for you from your experience for, for uh, at a bingo loco? That that is an almost endless question. There's <laughs> always, always enter. I'll, I'll give you like a top three. This the first one was I've seen uh, a guy at a festival and doing a festival slot of forbidden fruit. This is the the first festival slot we did back in 2017, and I've seen a guy so off his head in the front row when he was because he obviously was, he didn't know what it was. Nobody knew what it was. It was raining yeah. outside, so everyone came into the tent. Bonnie Bear was on at the same time, and there's more oh, people like us than there was at him because it was pissing rain. Yeah, but this guy who saw off his head, he was just eating the bingo book and by the end of the show he'd eaten half the bingo book and his face been covered in dye Jesus. the second one is we'd it's been it's actually been there's been a few of these been wedding proposals on stage where someone plans it that look i'm gonna propose to my wife can come can, can you call her up on stage for a challenge and then she turns around and she's been proposed to by by her fiance whatever it is so we've had we've had a few proposals yeah. Um, but we had one proposal where when they got off stage, she broke it to him that she had say, only said yes on stage and gave it, you know, basically slapped him around. Oh, yeah. With all our friends there, anything else. <laughs> um, but, but the number one was we uh, booked a bar in New York to do a gig um, in January 2018, I think yeah. it was. No, 2019, sorry. Yeah. Um, and they had told us that the capacity was 300 people. And we needed about 250 to break even. The margin was tight. We said, you know what? It's New York. Let's get some people in the crowd program that are there, some Irish and also some locals. And we'll just, we'll have fun with it. When we got into the venue, there was no stage. The bar would be held about 100 people standing. Uh, so we realized soon enough that we were going to have to get rid of all the furniture. We got a pool table, moved it up against the wall, and that became a stage. So the MC standing on the pool table had his head at a 45 degree angle, not to hit the ceiling for the entire show. <laughs> um, the bar was so packed. They were serving everything in glass. So the floor was a sheet of glass and, uh, and nearly every single bartender was high off their head on cocaine. Oh my goodness. The event manager had broken his, his foot and the toenail was coming off. Uh, the sound was terrible. The DJ was so drunk, he had fallen asleep beside the table. So in, in this madness, we somehow managed to still pull off a show. Um, everyone going absolutely nuts. It was the most insane adrenaline-fueled party. Um, and it seemed that this whole North American tour, because of the characters that were on it, had turned into this, where we'd also done the same thing in Toronto the next day and realized that this wasn't the right venue and that actually it held a quarter of the capacity that we're about to show up. It was actually normally a strip club and the owner was walking around the pimp jacket. And so it showed the importance <laughs> of being able to walk in and see a venue before you actually put on a show. But this is in the early days. And we were like, it's America, baby. Yeah. Just take the venue. Let's go. Um, <laughs> go in and turn, this into, turn the lights on and go, yeah, it's a bit seedy looking. <laughs> Get out of here. Now, what exactly. was that? You're going off Google Photos. <laughs> Was that your first uh, like dalliance into America, or did you have previous experience in America? No, that was that was us doing a tour to see how it would work, um, and we did we did another one then this year just to see if it was you know still the same because it'd been yeah. like three years or something. Um, we did a, a Paddy's Day tour this year, and we did Toronto, Chicago, New York, and uh, we got like an Irish members club to book us in Philadelphia or something like that. And uh, Toronto sold out, Vancouver sold out two dates, um, New York. Did very well for us. Chicago, no Irish there. It was mm -hmm. actually a week after the parade. They do they did a parade a week before parties, which is weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so we were going only for Chicago native folks. 
Uh, but we still had enough in the room to break even. Um, and they were basically over. They were like, you need to bring this back. Whatever it is, bring it back. Um, we'll help you find some staff if you need it. Like, you know, whatever. Make this your home in Chicago. Yeah. And so now it's about kind of finding what our, what our key hubs are in the East Coast. Um, you know, where, where are people going out and night out? Where are they drinking? Where are they socializing? Yeah. Um, how are they socializing? understanding who our target market is in a very polarized society where you know you've got black white asian caucasian latino mm, you know yeah um, and they all have very different identities listen to very different music so what's the lowest common denominator that will get all of those cultures into a room is it taylor swift who knows we've got yeah. to really design out what makes an audience kick here you play cotton eye joe everyone gets it we're up we're dancing we understand it in in america it's almost like whack-a-mole whatever song you play might set one table off, uh, but it won't set every table off. So it's really trying to find, you know, what the what jokes, what games, mm. what music fits in with that psyche. So America is just a different ball game because also you might figure that out in New York. It's going to be very different in Austin and Texas. My previous life, I worked on a cruise ship and I was a comedy club manager, like hosting a comedy club. Like it's called uh, Punchliner. So it's basically a, a whole kind of franchise of uh, comedy clubs. Uh, George Lopez was the one of the right. kind of lead guys back in the early days, um, and the, the West Coast, the West Coast audience versus the Miami audience, very different worlds, my friend. Oh my God, they're probably it is it is very different. Yeah. And, like even um, even in LA, for example, you've yeah. got massive competition. But you're doing like you know you're going up against an any picker Friday night or Saturday night. They're mm. going you're going up in the for free economy. And so yeah. in LA, you've got the culture of you got to make it to fake it till you make it. You know, you're basically doing every gig free until you get someone to to be to see you for your for your raw talent. Mm. And that's a case of going mm. up against like open mic nights, comedy nights, and you know they're all free in. No one's getting paid. Mm. Um, and so you're trying to come in with a brand new concept and charge you know twenty to thirty dollars a ticket for it. It's just not. It's not going to work. No. It's not going to work. And so and they used to you know get in big studios doing venue buyouts. So venues are giving you crazy fees um, for an event that you know you're going up against everything else. It's just so culturally different. And you have to treat the US as almost like a, I guess like um, like Europe really, you know, it's, yeah. it's culturally different. Half of half of like, you know, California and, and Texans, they speak Spanish, you know? Mm. You'd nearly probably be able to get away with a, with a, a Spanish bingo loco, you know? It's just a bit, yeah. it's really hard to read. So it's going to be like, um, gonna be the classic case of you build good business on you know gradual tinkering rather than constant strategy uh, and most any entrepreneur listening to this will know that you could spend your entire day in strategy meetings brainstorming and planning but ultimately you know you need a small bit of that but most of the time it's trial and error pulling a china yeah. shop you know fix it if it breaks and if it doesn't break keep doing it and you tinker your way to success um you know there's there's a Sometimes you get stuck in your own strategy, you can end up like walking into a wormhole of money loss. But uh, but I'm, I'm confident we'll figure it out. It's the next big move for us is, is North America. The economy there is 100 times bigger than Ireland. Yeah. So even if we just crack one state or we crack 10 cities or, or whatever it may be, it's it's still a big opportunity for us. They consume as well. Like they are. They are. They are very, I know it's capitalist now, but they do spend and they do spend time entertained. They love to be entertained, but they are, some audience are a tough nut. You were talking about music. That's a, a key point uh, you made there is different music styles. In the deep south, you might be like country, proper old school country. You go up to like um, Atlanta, New York, LA, proper hip hop. Even in parts of like Bakersfield in California, you got country. I never thought that before I got, got on a cruise ship. 
There's a place in California, California who actually likes country music. I thought it was all like Snoop Dogg and all this kind of thing, you know? Yeah, but that's, again, it's, it's, it's audience specific. Yeah. So, you know, in, in California and LA, that's like, you know, that's like where hip hop really was born in some, in some respects, you know, yeah. East Coast versus West Coast. Uh, but you've also got, you know, big reggaeton culture down there because it's proximity to Mexico and, and Spanish culture. You've got big country music down there as well in yeah. California, you know? Yeah. Um, so really it's about finding what is the common denominator? What does, pardon the term, like what does the, the basic person, you know, people say basic bitch, but what does the basic person want to listen to? What are they singing along to in, the, in their car on the way to work? What's playing when they're in the shower? Yeah. Um, and what's like almost playing at a wedding? What's yeah. the wedding DJ playing to get everyone on the door, on the floor, you know, what are the floor fillers? Mm. Um, and that's and that takes time to figure out. You've got to look into the data. You've got to talk to local expertise uh, and design that out. But ultimately, even we're still finding songs that people fill on the floor at Bingo Loco. You know, the songs we used to play are very different uh, and they'll keep changing. We started this, what, six years ago? And we used to say we're a, like, a, we play 90s throwback classics. But now we're in the noughties. We're playing noughties throwback classics and even some songs are throwbacks from five years ago because the age uh, bell curve has expanded. You know, we used to say we were 21 to 35, young professional yeah. uh, people in the city center after work. We were on Jim Fridays, but ultimately now it's, you know, 18 all the way up to, to 45, 50. You know, you get a hen party. Yeah. If you would think of the demographic of what's on an average hen party, that's an average bingo loco. It appeals to everybody. Like TikTok has a record label. I was listening to uh, Miley Cyrus on a podcast and she says TikTok have a record label. So music's consumed differently. So maybe you might put a song that's on TikTok because then you're getting that audience but then again the classics are the classics like the proper 90s or 2000s no one that are timeless you know where so many TikTok songs might just fade away and they might not, you might not be popular maybe 5-10 years no of course and we also know there's, there's definitely a psychology and a gamification around how we build the event and what drives the consumer to consume more mm. and so we know that uh, by adding an interval into the show you might get more drinks for that moment Actually, you'll slow down the rate of pace and people will, you know, head outside for a cigarette and then maybe disappear or not engage further. But by keeping a steady uh, flow and pace to the show, actually, we keep people drinking, which seems seems opposite to how most normal shows would work, where they would take a halftime intermission for food and drinks. But because we're drinking the whole throughout the show, it actually amplifies it based on how we play music. We have a timestamp as well, so we can see what songs trigger more consumption which is a higher rate of sale in the bar because obviously we're incentivized in some places to get a higher return on the bar. Mm. Um, and some places will say like, oh, you know, we'll waive the rental if it hits a certain bar spend. But we're going to go, oh, well, if we want to hit a certain bar spend, you need to have this many staff. There's what drinks you need to be serving and there's how much you need to be charging for those drinks. Yeah. You need to be removing this for to slow down rate of serving. So we can almost use our consumer data to, to drive how the operations of the bar should be run because we've done so many of this exact format structure of show. So that's really useful when when venues come at us with that for bar guarantees or whatever it is, uh, or for kickbacks. If you hit a certain amount, we'll give you ten percent back or twenty percent back um, on the net bit. We we are able to help us to help them amplify that for us. We can give them that advice and we can show them Z reads to prove it. It's not just coming from a place of just random advice, you know. Okay, so I, I feel like because you you came in talking about like getting get to a bar, but I want to talk about the bar, like like. It seems like it's, an, it's a natural um, progression. You know, Irish man, Irish guys want to own a bar. Like, was there a point where in, in that time you're like, ah, let's just diversify a little bit? Or were you just kind of like, 
let's just do something. And if you make a bar, and let's just not go for the classic theme bar, or let's not go for the classic Irish bar. Let's go for a theme bar along the lines of what we do for like a bit different, like a bingo loco. Yeah, John's John, funny. It's a, you're right. There's a natural progression there for uh, actual promoters. Okay. So you're you're seeing a lot of these promoters that go into then running running their own bar. You see the guys like um, Johnny and Brian who started off doing Bedlam and then you know they did uh, other side festival there and they do box off festivals. They obviously you know good promoters in in dance music went down the route of bars too. They have Fourth Corner. Um, oh yeah. They're also involved in another new bar as well. So and you also have the Hidden Agenda guys, you know, and they've they've opened up um, Big Romance and. Um, What's that new one down there where since near Smithfield? Fidelity. I can't remember the name of it is. Fidelity, that's all. Not being there, yeah. I heard the, it's all about the sound quality. Like there's a speaker system and then there's nice bars, like a nice collection of craft beers in there as well. Exactly. And so th- this trend sort of continues. Like you look at the body tonic guys. Of course, they went to the bars, like, you know, Burn and Sean and everything else. Yeah. And, uh, and actually, I met Trev, who's an amazing guy, when uh, we were opening up Antisocial. And he was like, you think there's loads of money in bars, that's it? Well, a lot of heartbreak, not a lot of money. And yeah. in, in fairness, he's, he's, not, he's not wrong. You've got a lot of people involved in running a bar, you know, and you're, you know, you're, your summers are hard unless you've got a big old beer garden and you're driving people to it. Uh, ultimately, like, it, it, is a, it is a tough game and I have so much respect for, uh, for people in the pub game who keep mm-hmm. it fresh, who, who create a good atmosphere and who find and keep a good manager because the turnover of staff in the bar industry could be very fast paced because it's late night and people could burn out and yeah you know they it's you know it's it just kind of comes with the industry you know it's not uncommon to see a certain management floating around two to three different bars in, in a in a two-year period you know people want to change the scene or they want to just a change of just a change of ownership or whatever it may be or they oh. want to slice and get their own get their own skin in the game you know yeah, I love the 90s team, though. I love it. I've not been. I've, I plan to go soon. I've, I've booked in next Friday. But although next Friday, well, when we're talking, it's when Oppenheim and Barbie release. So I don't know if I'll make that that day. But you will see. Okay, but definitely I want to go to Jackie's for sure and check it out because I love 90s. And it's a nostalgia. Who doesn't love a bit of nostalgia? Now, I, I believe you had a cocktail called Colomini. Snapper cocktail, which had a, a picture of, yeah, Colomini um, from the Snapper as a decal on top of the cocktail. It had uh, it was a classic take on a whiskey sarah, but with book fast in it. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a, there's a, we also have like the Calp, well, say we, I'm not involved in it anymore as of like what three months ago. Um, but they've still got the the, the Calpol 18 plus. Yeah. So it's basically it looks like Calpol in a cocktail glass, um, but again a nice fusion of kind of condensed milk, oat milk, uh, raspberry. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's actually, it, it tastes quite nice. You're definitely drinking one or two before swapping to something else because it's very thick <laughs> and sweet. Yeah. Um, but it does it does have a close resemblance to the taste of Calpol you would have had known from when you were younger again. The good touching stuff. On, touching on that. But but you're, you're, you're right in terms of that, like, to survive now in a bar outside of just the main footfall areas. If you're in Dublin too, you're probably going to be okay opening a bar once you can create an ambiance. But if you're going a bit outside of that, you've got to have a real nice niche in craft. You've got to have a real nice niche in a concept. Yeah. And ultimately to get people to come away from the main thoroughfares, you have to have a hook. Mm. And that's taking concept well known and giving it a theme or a vibe or a novelty that gives it a talking point, that gives it an Instagramable or TikTokable kind of talking point. Um, and one of the things we did very well with Jackie's in you know the, the first year of launch was let's hit TikTok hard. Let's find the trends. 
let's get someone doing the trends that is of the demographic that's interesting to Jackie's. Like we were a bunch of dudes. We knew this bar was going to be popular for a bunch of girls. We should get a girl who's in her mid to late 20s who's getting hit with the trends of the algorithm that's for her demographic, actually yeah. regurgitating those trends that she's being hit with and rephrasing them for the bar. So rather than me seeing like, you know, business TikToks and whatever silly trends I was seeing um, and trying to make them retrofit for the bar, the ones that fit perfectly for that demographic are only being seen by that demographic. Yeah. Um, TikTok hire with some very big viral ones, like 13 million hits, 15 million hits or whatever it is. But the, the, the value of that is huge. And we had people traveling up from Cork, you know, uh, we'll, we'll go to Dublin with that day. We'll go to the Jackie's mm. 90s bar. Mm. And the expectation was so big. They were walking in, they were like, oh, it's just a bar, mm. you know? And we're like, well, what did you expect? It's, of course, it's just a bar, but it has 90s themed cocktails and 90s themed decor. So, you know, it's not as if we're going to charge 90s prices. We can't, yeah, yeah. you know, you, you can't smoke indoors here. <laughs> no, no, no. Now, did you, so, like, how did you go up with the, uh, the cocktail names? Like, was it, was it like, a knock on the heads or what, did you get specialists in to come up with, the, like, the drinks and then just go, yeah, that's, a silly, that's a nice name was, and we go that way? It was a collaboration of like understanding what was the fun things from the nineties that we loved, the nineties sweets, yeah, uh, the nineties cartoons, whatever it is. And like honestly, when you when you pick a, a decade, you've got an endless repertoire of, you know, games, yeah, movies, yeah. songs, celebrities, uh, you know, pop classics, the sweets, the fashion. So yeah. you can like you've you've got a great team to dress out how the bar looks, how it feels, the props you can use. Um, and honestly, it's it's endless. You know, you could put a Nintendo 64 gaming station in the corner. You could have a retro Pac-Man arcade, which is 80s, but they still had them in the 90s. So mm. really, you kind of squeeze the the outer realms of the noughties and and the and the 80s and proximity to the 90s and bash that on together for the crossover. So really, you've got like a huge kind of creativity pool to pull from there. And a lot of it's been think tanked and. And it worked online. So you can get a lot of mood boarding stuff online. Nice. Um, and and you know with uh, with you know the team of mixologists that we would have had, um, or within the network of the industry, it was very easy for us to pull out some people and ask them like, give us some guidance on this. What do you think of mm. this? And we got our cocktail menu peer reviewed. We put it in an old Ashling copy book. I love it. Uh, which people love that they come in. The first thing they do is they take a picture of the menu. Yeah. Um, and so you've got customers coming in and advertising to everyone what's on your menu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, whereas in Temple Bar, you got to have someone out in the street with a menu hassling tourists to see it. Uh, we've got our guests promoting all of our products online. Or, well, we had. It's very hard to get out of that habit of saying we. But yeah, but it's, it's, it's doing very well, that the idea of taking a well-known concept of just, you know, an Irish bar and putting a twist on it. So no, it's mm. the 90s Irish bar. Go back in a capsule. And we've sort of done the same thing with this new concept, October Fesh. Instead of October Fest, it's October Fesh. We've gotten like amazing coverage all over Ireland. Our first year, we'll do twelve events. Uh, we're partnering up with Guinness for for the first year, and we'll see Whistling Donkeys, um, George and the Rising Sun, and some other acts uh, doing a three thousand capacity show in Simmons Court in the RDS with us for our very first show. Uh, it took us about two years to do an RDS show with Bingo Loco, but October Fest, we're going straight for for the top on it. Yeah. We're doing the INEC Arena in Killarney and, and also as well as the RES doing 10 other locations around the country. And so it's taking what people know from, you know, what we know from like the gamification and, and stage-based banter that we've got from Bingo Loco. We're bringing it together with a full Irish theme. So it's Oktoberfest, mm. but 
almost not our scale, but we're we're adding our own twist to it. So green and white Bavarian flags, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and I think nice. it's just, yeah, it's a big day out for everybody. Common denominator humor, um, well thought out scripting and comedy. Good. Um, good games, same again prizes. So yeah. it's a nice big day out and it's been, it's been selling very, very well for us, which is good. Straight out the door, we think we're going to sell out. And what time will it go on? So go on from t- until what's like opening and closing hours? Same time as Bingo Loco. We think that's our sweet spot. Early evening entertainment. Not everyone yeah. wants to go out late, late anymore. Yeah. Um, and we think getting an interactive, bit of competitiveness, um, something with a twist. Mm. It allows us to merge two well-known ideas of like a fesh, a Kaylee, and mix that with something that's very common, which is just drinking in a hall, being entertained in beer keller style format. Yeah. So we're, we're, we're again bringing two ideas together. And people, and that causes intrigue. Because people know the two things. They go, how would they... How they fuse those together? They're both very fun separately. How did it, that's gonna be really funny to bring them all together. Yeah. So that's kind of what we're what we're depending on. And the first one kicks off this uh, this early September. The second weekend in September kicks off because that's when Oktoberfest happens in Germany. So you're you're hitting this this spot there, perfect. Exactly. So I want to want to want to track circle back to Jackie's for a second. Let's wrap this one up, Jackie's, because my friend asked me, where did you source the bean or wallpaper in the Jacks? Oh, right, yeah. Um, there was a Beano annual edition, and we scanned in high-quality uh, copies of that annual edition. Oh, nice. And we sent those off to a, a printer to give us high-quality high, um, high wallpaper, effectively. Mm. And we just wallpapered it on. So, obviously, it's custom-made, made it yeah. ourselves. Nice. Uh, which is unique. You can't just order that, apparently, car blanche. Um, but, yeah. We just printed in an annual edition and just put it up on the wall ourselves. Excellent. All right, I'm gonna. I want. I want to go back to you. You're talking about you're ready for ready to, ro- to for the road adventures. We're gonna wrap it up soon. I want. Can you talk about that? I know it's away from the beverage and in, entertainment in, in industry, but your own kind of like philanthrop- philanthropic kind of thing you're doing, and it's something different because volunteering and stuff. So talk about that for a, a, a few a while, please. For sure. Um, on the same journey where I'd found Bingo Loco, I'd been. Um, in Pakistan and I'd landed there sort of by accident. I'd been in a meditation retreat with some Finnish guy who mm. said, I must go to Pakistan. And uh, I was like, that's crazy. You know, it's full of Al Qaeda and Taliban and you know, get kidnapped. And he's like, nope, friendly place in the world. He told me all about it. The seed was planted and started to grow. Um, but at that time you couldn't get tourist visas for Pakistan without going home to your home country. And so I emailed a chamber of commerce and asked them for a business visa. And they'd seen in my signature that I'd given uh, a TED talk in Delhi and they were asking me would I come and do their speaker series I had coming up nice. in exchange for a business visa. And so I said yes. And for a week, they hosted me and brought me around and showed me all the highlights. I felt very safe, very comfortable. People were very kind. The hospitality was something I'd never seen before. Um, and then afterwards, I, I left the, you know, the protection of this uh, very well-to-do chamber of commerce where there had been a five-star hotel. Mm. And I wrote, Islamabad on a street sign on a sign on sort of the side of the street and hitchhiked my way to Islamabad and then up to the, the northern territories of Gilgit Baltistan and you know was hanging out with anti-Taliban vigilante fighters anti-terrorist police um, I was you know going through these bazaars where they were selling rubies and sapphires that had been mined from local mines just everywhere I, I went I was just met with intrigue invited into people's homes so much kindness it was the adventure I'd sort of always been looking for, but never been able to find. Yeah. And so upon leaving a friend of mine, Imran, he was like, you know, bro, please come back again. 
you know, we'd love to see you, you know, and tell everyone that Pakistan is a safe place, that we're good people. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and so the, fo- the following year, I ended up going back, but I'd brought a few friends who had put their trust in me to go to this mad country. And they, they loved it. And they were like, wow, this is amazing. We didn't think it was like this. Um, didn't really know what I was doing or had to run a tour properly at the time, but, you know, still giving a very full sense of adventure. And this sort of ballooned, um, you know, every year. More people wanted to come that heard about, you know, this Irish guy is, you know, running these tours in Pakistan. Um, they're fun. They're harebrained. You're not going to find a tour like this anywhere else. Because what we were doing was we were allowing people to see a very underground version of it. So you were going to secret bars um, in a country that's very dry in Lahore, yeah. where people were able to drink Pakistani beer made in a Pakistani brewery that's usually only exported except for very, very few places in Pakistan where they give a license to sell it in a five-star hotel. Yeah. Um, we were yeah. giving them access to like drinking moonshine if they wanted to try the local charas, which is almost like... Uh, the, the hand-rubbed um, marijuana of the north. So whatever people wanted to try, whatever they were interested in, we would let them do it. We would go to target practice with uh, my anti-Taliban vigilante friends in the mountains. Um, but like, like I said earlier about Bingo Loco, where it would start off, you know, we didn't really know what we were doing. It was very uncut and it was very raw to having a very uh, formalized, homogenized structure. Now, now we're at the stage in Pakistan where we're the ground operator. So a lot of people are reaching out to the company like, hey, I see you guys are based in Islamabad. We'd like to use you to run our tours. We're a travel agency from wherever, or I'm an yeah. influencer, travel influencer, and I've got half a million followers. I want to run a tour for me and my followers. Um, and then they get redirected to an Irish guy. Yeah. And they don't realize that it's actually me. I'm an Irish guy who's a ground operator in Pakistan, but the, a lot of the money that we, we would make from the tours gets invested locally, gets put into building families' homestays, gets put into you know basically there's there's no there's no middlemen yeah um so i've been going every year and next year we'll have about 18 tours of 15 people um and that'll be running for the entire the entire season and we'll have two squads of like driver translators um guides uh, travel support uh, people all the money goes directly into their hands into porters into families into small businesses so it's it's very sustainable we're paying rates that allow these guys who work for a season to make more than what a, an accountant makes in a full 12 month working year in Pakistan. Wow. Yeah. So after the season, they can go off and they can travel the world and they can like give money to their families or they can buy more land for their farms or whatever it is. Um, so it definitely, it definitely feels very rewarding. And also there's, there's, there's money in it too. You know, it's not as if yeah. I'm doing this purely for, um, for the sake of my health, like there is money in it, but it's great to see how far, it affects other people's lives. Whereas as much as I know, Bingo Loco is an amazing product. People find it very fun. I don't think anyone's coming home after a after a Bingo Loco night out having their mind blown and their life changed. Yeah, yeah. People do firming, come yeah, yeah. on one of our expeditions in, in Pakistan and they, mm. you know, they're they're in tears leaving in the airport because they have made strong connections with the people that they're with. Yeah. They felt very connected and blown away by the hospitality of the people. So it's um yeah, it's it's, it's sort of it has a very big effect on the people. That's excellent. No, I'll definitely, I'll, I'll investigate more of that uh, later on. Um, we're going to wrap it up soon because I don't want to take too much, too much more of your time, okay? No, well, no, been... I'm, I'm, I'm overrun for a meeting, so that's, that's all good. It's okay. Okay, appreciate that. But I, I, but I, but I got to go soon myself. So I'm going to, uh, before we leave, because it's beverage, I want to kind of get a sense of you. We'll do, I always do a little kind of little bit at the end and it's kind of a little silly bit to talk about, you know, what's your favorite pub and snack and stuff like that. Just, just a few little, little questions to ask you away from just your business. 
So let's just uh, fly okay. into a few small little questions. Okay. So what's your what's your favorite pub food? Favorite pub food, probably if I can get my hands on a like a very very solid ham and cheese toasty. Nice. It doesn't matter. Like it sounds, it sounds like a classic, but um, it just it has all the fat. It has all yeah, the yeah. salt. Perfect what you need for soakage. It is. You just can't beat it. And most most pubs will have one. So it's definitely being a game of volume. Um, but also like you're seeing a lot of pubs now doing doing a lot of different food, right? They're now doing third party food. Yeah. So they'll have Dublin Pizza Company or they'll have El Milagro's Tacos or whatever yeah. it is in doing food because the food margin is quite tight. Um, but you need to have food in the pub. So if mm. you can outsource that, have no hassle, a lot of people will do it. Yeah. And that's honestly been something I've noticed a lot that the diversity in pub food has changed and independent uh, vendors going in yeah. is, is, is a real nice touch in Dublin at the moment. Well, yeah, even the Vietnamese place over in Stony Badder as well. There's loads of, yeah, it's nice to see that, like little little kind of pop-up restaurants within the bar. Yeah, it's nice. Um, also, favorite pub snack. So food is one thing. What snack? Like you like you like you like crisps? Hot, remember, hot, remember hot nuts? I'll bring them back. Favorite pub snack. Uh, yeah, I like I like the Sahara nuts. Yeah. Sure you get a little cup of those yeah. nuts. They were always they were always a they were always a banger. They're great crack. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I think those nuts. The roasting <laughs> Bring them back. Where are they? Uh, okay, favorite pub. Pub. What's favorite pub? You like in Dublin? Let's say favorite pub. Your, your go to. Yeah, I keep. I keep coming back to it, and if I'm having a catch up with someone I'm seeing in the wild, I end up in P Max. I haven't been there in a while because I had a, a pretty negative interaction with with a with, with a staff there who just completely was ignoring my order for about like 25 minutes, and the bar wasn't even that busy. So I haven't been back in a while. Um, but like the bar yeah. itself is great, and I'm at Brilliant, good product. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I think P Max is a solid vibe. It does no pretense about itself. You can go in there dressed in a suit. Yeah. You can go in there dressed in bad rags. It mm. just doesn't matter. It's a real nice place to just let your hair down. Yeah. Okay. So, beverage themed. Okay. So, favorite alcohol beverage? Um, before this trend was massive globally of Aperol. Yeah. 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 Uh, where they would serve it, with, you know, and, um, a spiced olive in a glass. Cool. And I was like, okay, this is this is amazing. And you couldn't find it anywhere in Dublin. I was walking to like three different offsites trying to find it. Uh, but it's still a popular favorite on a sunny day for me. I love an alcohol spirits. Yeah, your man, your man drinks it in on uh, selling sunset. He's like, Oh, alcohol, alcohol spirits. I was over in Greece. So like, okay, whatever. Um <laughs> <laughs> okay, low alcohol, favorite low alcohol. Uh Guinness Zero Zero. Nice. Actually, I think they're decent. I've I had the Heineken and the Guinness, yeah, they're decent enough. Considering, like, you Guinness know, zero, it's zero. Not, yeah, it doesn't taste exactly the same, but it's close enough. And I feel like if I'm having that, and like, I'm having a catch up with mates, yeah, that it's it satiates me, you know. Nice, it satiates me. I like it. That's a nice word, satiates. Well, I'm gonna Google that one. Good man. Uh, low alcohol, uh, okay, low alcohol, no alcohol. So, again, there's low alcohol, but no alcohol. What's your favorite? No alcohol. Oh, sorry, okay, yeah, okay. I was expecting this as a follow up question, otherwise, I probably would have said this, <laughs> for this one. Um, so no alcohol, definitely Guinness Zero Zero. Yeah. Uh, low alcohol. I mean, some of the open gate brewery stuff is pretty good. Mm. They do pretty pretty mm. decent ones. Is like the things that the citrus do a citrus low IPA. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I not can't, can't really think of anything off the top of my mind that really blows me out. So I don't really have a favorite. I'm just thinking of one that I know. So I can't <laughs> really can't really answer that accurately. Okay, two more. Uh, energy energy drink. What's your favorite energy drink? Honestly, coffee. I don't, I'm not. A, I'm not a big fan of like Monster, Red Bull, yeah. Um, the kind of you know, taurine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Five of the amino. 
honestly coffee as an energy drink it's classic it's timeless it tastes good you can have it anywhere okay last one your favorite healthy drink favorite healthy drink i like this one this is good mm. um favorite healthy drink you're really limited in actually having healthy drinks unless you want to go and get a, a proper smoothie made or you're you're actually making it at home yourself but right. um i recently bought an arc um carbonizer and so you can buy like a bottle of organic lemon juice yeah um or lime juice or whatever juice for for, for whatever reason you wanted and you can fill a liter of sparkling water sparkle it yourself um fruit it up and you've got your own sparkling lemonade with no sugar at home i recently tried to reduce all sugar out of my diet so i've been trying to find as many healthy alternatives to grabbing a lucasade or a coke on the go um but even you know things like buying a vid hit when you look at like the nutrient quality in it and it's yeah. just yeah they're, they're better than the than the other alternative but if you want the healthiest drink when you're going into a shop you're just buying a bottle of water to be honest with you yeah you know that is amazing okay thanks will um i'm gonna leave it to it i know you're a busy man uh once again, thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate uh, you've such a you're a man of the world, and you have lots. You're such an ideas man, and I'm I'm looking forward to see, you know, what the next big thing is coming up. Like what I like the next big thing is the October Fesh. Is that the big thing for you coming up? Yeah, yeah, that'll be September October. It looks nice. to be selling out. Great feedback so far. PR is out the Brilliant. door, and ticket sales have been tricking along just the way we want them to at a time of year when people aren't buying tickets in the summer. It's a hard time to sell usually, so yeah. we're on to something. Do you have um, Summer Jam, which is a festival in Dunleary for 5,000 people. That'll be at the end of this month. Yeah. So that's uh, that's definitely a nice little highlight. We have some international acts playing at like Jack Jones, yeah, uh, Tiny Tempa, as Brilliant. well as like we've come up around things like Abba Gospel nice. Choir and yeah. um, they're doing a, a stage-based drag show and stuff like that. So cool. yeah, it should be an interesting day out. should be good. There's lots of exciting stuff in the pipeline. I'll look into that as well if I can get, if, I, if we can... Um get some time on it um but yeah no it's been great to talk to you uh have a good day and uh good luck with all the next ventures okay cheers shane thanks very much talk to you will see you thanks see you bye-bye thanks and that was will mara he is a founder of bingo loco if you don't know what bingo loco is well it's bingo and it's loco check it out if you are in any of those locations he was talking about on the podcast and my name is Shane. This podcast is called Heartlines. This is episode 74. I'm hoping to close out this beverage season very soon with a few more guests, a few irons in the fire, if you will. Hopefully coming up soon. If like this episode, please like, share, comment, share with a friend. More show the love. Thank you. And remember, you're always welcome here in Heartlines. Take it easy and bye-bye.